I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome to the Friday Golf Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison, and today we're talking about the design of Marco Simone Golf and Country Club in Italy, which will host the Ryder Cup next week. My guest is Dave Sampson, who's a designer for European golf design. Dave was the lead architect in the recent redesign of Marco Simone. This redesign was done with the Ryder Cup specifically in mind. And I'm really grateful that Dave took time out of his busy schedule this close to the event to talk to me. Now, I'll put my cards on the table. I have not been to Marco Simone, but just looking at it from afar, it doesn't seem like the kind of golf course that I tend to enjoy, at least as it's presented right now. It's got narrow fairways, thick rough, the whole deal, right? But the thing is, this is a course purpose built for the Ryder Cup, not for my enjoyment. So even if I'm not a huge fan of its style of architecture, it might very well be an outstanding host for this event. It's got a great setup for spectators, lots of amphitheater holes, lots of room to move around. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. And there are great views of Rome. Maybe that is a big portion of what we want out of a Ryder Cup venue. So In talking to Dave, what I really want to find out is what specifically goes into designing a Ryder Cup host? How do you make the infrastructure work? How do you achieve spectator flow? What kinds of holes work well for match play? And don't worry, I will also ask him about the narrow fairways and the thick rough because this is the Friday Golf Podcast and that's what you expect from us. So after this short break, I'll be back with Dave Sampson of European golf design. This episode of the Friday Golf Podcast is brought to you by Cisco. As golf evolves, so do the people who help support its future. Cisco has an initiative called Tee Up Tomorrow, aimed at the next generation of golfers. Tee Up Tomorrow wants to provide access to the game through innovative technology, partnerships, and investments. It supports organizations like the USGA, the APGA, Underrated Golf, and the LPGA and USGA Girls Golf Program. Through these partnerships, Cisco wants to help usher in a more connected and inclusive environment for people who want to experience golf. Right now, for instance, the APGA Cisco Invitational is underway at Pebble Beach Resorts. Cisco is a big supporter of the APGA Tour, which is all about bringing greater diversity to the game. So check out Cisco's Tee Up Tomorrow initiative and follow the APGA Cisco Invitational. All right, back to the episode. So Dave, I understand that you got your start in building architecture. How did you make the transition to golf architecture? That's true. Um, I was studying uh, building architecture in, started in 97 
down at a university in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, the passion was always golf architecture and, and trying to find a way to getting into that. Um, and then just by by chance, I, I mean, my grandfather, who was Welsh, um, obviously living in the UK, he was very ill when I was, you know, completing my thesis and came over um, to see him uh, say goodbye. And on the way back to South Africa, uh, my... Um, my good friend who I was living with at university um, in my first few day, uh, first few years, he was living in London and he gave me the Golf World magazine and said, I know you're interested. There was a designer hole competition and so at Heathrow Airport, I scribbled down a few entries, put them in the post and I was, you know, the lucky winner. So that was back in 2002, um, but it wasn't 2003, I came over to the UK um, looking to sort of explore the opportunities. Um, I took a job as a cricket analyst for one of the counties here. Cricket's another one of my passions. And yeah, but it wasn't until 2004 that I actually got a got a break with European Golf Design who actually ran the competition with Golf World Magazine. So what was the hole that won you the contest? Do you uh, was there a specific one? Well, I remember it fondly. I mean, it was a it, it was a it was a course in Finland, um, and obviously the as I mentioned, the the project or the, the the competition was being run by European Golf Design. It was a par five, and obviously being you know in the architecture or studying architecture, I was able to read a map and sort of I, I played golf, and I you could see where the previous green was, you could see where the next tee was, and it was pretty much connect the dots and yeah, just designed a. A par five as a few options down on a piece of paper and one of them I guess was was the one that looked closest to the to what the architect wanted the hole to look like anyway so you know that, that, that's the way I see it anyway <laughs> so you ended up working for European golf design how how did that come about so there was a bit of a delay between winning the contest and yeah. actually going to work for this firm yeah so that so so the win came at the end of 2002 um, and then you know part of the prize was going into the EGD offices um, so I sort of saw it as a foot in the door and pretty much sort of banged the door down as much as I possibly could um, but taking that analyst that cricket analyst role you know that gave me a bit of free time to read up a bit more on golf architecture um, and then at the end of that 2003 I took a job in the building architecture at, a, at, at an architect's firm. And then it wasn't until 2004, as part of the prize, you'd get to go out and see that golf hole in construction. Um, and on the back of, off the back of that trip, um, Jeremy Slesser, our managing, managing director, called me in and um, yeah, a couple of weeks later offered me a job as a design associate. For people who aren't familiar with European golf design, could you just talk about the firm's relationship with the European tour and what kinds of projects you take on? Yeah. So um, EGD started back in 1992 as a joint venture company between the European tour and IMG. Um, in the past four years, IMG uh, shell, um, sold their share, but we are still a company half owned by the European tour. Um, and yeah, I mean, EGD do, you know, a lot of work, a lot of work for the tour. Um, back in the day when we were uh, half owned by IMG, we did a lot of, um, a lot of work for a lot of signature work as well. But, you know, we, we, we do 
the full range of golf courses from new builds all the way to little renovation jobs, you know, you know, nothing's too big, nothing's too small. And yeah. In terms of the high profile projects that the firm has done, Ryder cup venues are included in those. I believe Le Golf Nacional is uh, one of the projects that the firm took on Celtic Manor. And so what are some of the courses that people might've encountered in, viewing televised golf over the past couple of decades that EGD has been involved in? Wow. Um, well, I'd definitely say that Ryder Cup is right at the very top of the, of, of the list of high-profile jobs that, you know, our company has worked on. Uh, I think, it, you know, it's, it's one of the highlights. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Golf National, we weren't heavily involved in the original design, but we were involved in some modifications to get the golf course ready for that Ryder Cup. Um, another one of our architects, Ross McMurray, he was he was involved in the Golf National, as well as being you know the lead on Celtic Manor back in 2010, getting that course ready. Um, you know there were nine new holes, and then they had to modify nine of the the existing course to to uh, make up the the Ryder Cup. Uh, for 2010 um so um, i mean in terms of, of 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 courses that you know we've we've worked on um you know we've worked on the recently held pga championship at wentworth the um the latest renovation there um so we not 100 percent of the year but it was let's say five five to seven years back so you know that's a that's a huge project uh, that people will be familiar with um you know, personally worked on um, Evian, uh, Cran Sussier, Omega Masters up in the mountains in the Alps, uh, Royal Greens, where they, where they tend to host every event in Saudi Arabia at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we've been involved in, 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 in numerous projects, Irish Opens, Carton House. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think. PGA, Catalu PGA Catalunya, which is now called Camarel, uh, down in Girona in Spain. Uh, we worked on that project, uh, Woburn, um, where they hosted British Masters. Um, so yeah, there's been there's been a there's there's a long list of courses. Um, I don't have that list in front of me right at this very second, but yeah, that's a that's pretty good recollection yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So people get the idea. A lot of a lot of courses that have hosted European tour events. Um, are uh, you know you the firm has been involved in, um, yeah, yeah. so why don't we get why don't we get right into what I think people probably want to hear about most? You are the lead architect at Marco Simone Golf and Country Club in Italy, which is going to host the Ryder Cup in a couple of weeks. Here, can you just tell me a little about the history of Marco Simone and yeah. then how European golf design got involved there? So Marcus Money was um, originally designed in the early 90s, um, but as part of the, the bid by the Italian Golf Federation, we were brought in in 2014 um, as part of the federation and um, with IMG at the time to um, review a couple of sites in and around the Rome region. Um, following that review, it was Marcus Money was you know, chosen as their candidate course for, for the bid. Um, and then Marcus Simone, obviously, well, the Italian Golf Federation was successful in winning that bid in 2015. Um, and then my involvement came sort of 2017 um, was when, you know, I, I was sort of brought on board to sort of head up the, the design side of things. 
what was your basic brief at Marco Simone in the past few years? Well, we were pretty much given a blank canvas. Um, part of the, you know, part of the bid document was to sort of, you know, try and, you know, lengthen some tees, change a few greens, to try and get the the old course, you know, up to, you know, sort of competition length. But um, as part of the the award, Ryder Cup Europe, we're like, you know, the the course can't we can't retrofit in hospitality and road networks and all these things in and around, you know, the old course. The old course also had a lot of, you know, crossing points, greens to tees, you know, which is, you know, proves a bit of a nightmare to try and move spectators and the players. So we all, we always knew that the site was pretty much a blank canvas. But um, one of the fortunate things is that the Marcus Simone Golf Club, you know, they had 27 holes. So there was the space to try and to, to, to fit in um, a, a longer golf course and to factor in all those things like uh, spectator villages, uh, a longer practice range, you know, uh, all that sort of other infrastructure, which comes with, you know, a project of this size. How do you go about creating the infrastructure that a golf course needs to host a Ryder Cup? This is something I've always wondered about because it's insane, right? And it's very different from just designing a country club. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's totally different. But I mean, you know, having that alliance with the tour um, and them being, you know, they've had multiple Ryder Cups. So they, you know, we're following their brief and they're saying how big the hospitality units are, how wide the roads are, how, how you know, stage, merchandise, tent, catering, you know, they're providing us with that brief. And then it's, you know, it's sort of a collaborative process with ourselves, um, the golf club, even, you know, the Italian Federation trying to maximize the opportunities that any site gives you. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that Marco Simone, you know, for the people that will see it on TV, you may not get to fully appreciate how much elevation change is across the site. So, um, you know, we really saw it as, as, you know, as an opportunity, a lot of potential, especially, you know, for the spectators, um, maybe not so much for the players and the caddies having to walk up and down all those hills. But, um, you know, for the spectators, I think it's going to be immense. What are some of the things that you could do in the design of a normal course that is not supposed to host a, a massive golf event that you cannot do at a Ryder Cup course? Does that question make sense? Like, you know, what are, what are some of the limitations that, that end up being imposed by, you know, we're, we've got to host this huge event? Well, I mean, you know, if you, I mean, if I take the, the, the site at Marcus Simone, for instance, you know, you know, on a, on a brand new golf course, you're going out there and you're trying to find, you know, the 18 best golf holes for that site, you know, but at Marcus Simone, you know, you're factoring in, you know, what's going to be the 18 best holes from a spectator point of view, how are we going to get, you know, the hospitality units in, where the road's going to go. Um, and, I, and, you know, going back to the routing of, of the golf course, I think that's one of the the strengths from a Ryder Cup point of view. You know, we had this um, little, well, it wasn't, a, it's not a little, it's it's a central core area, a valley. And we, you know, we try to maximize that because that gives you that natural embankment for the hospitality and the spectators. You know, the golf is down low, you know, the spectators are all looking down on this. And I think, you know, you know root, rooting the golf course and factoring in all those requirements for, for the roads and the uh, hospitality, you know, 
you know something that you know we need to we need to get right and hopefully we have got right what are the keys to good spectator flow i've always sort of wondered about this <laughs> uh, space <laughs> space would be it yeah. you know you can't have any two, any pinch points really um and and making sure that you know the golf holes there's no crossovers um you know having having crossovers from the greens to the tees is just it's just a nightmare for them and obviously we're going to have 45,000 people you know walking the fairways and walking you know walk behind the ropes here at Marcus Money so yeah there's a lot of people to move and you need a lot of space i'm realizing now that uh the north course at los angeles country club which just which hosted the us <laughs> open this year <laughs> Which I, I think is one of the greatest golf courses in the world. And it's a wonderful walking course for golfers. Yeah. But there are a lot of crossovers at yep. that course. A lot of places where you're where you're kind of where there are these gathering points of greens and tees kind of in similar spots. And usually to get from one green to another tee, you kind of pass nearby another green or tee and those spots always kind of created problems at yeah. LACC. And so I guess what you're saying is the goal is if you're, if you're fabricating a course for a Ryder cup, then ideally you're not going to have those kinds of situations. You're trying to avoid them as much as you possibly can. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but I mean, in saying that, I mean, I mean the one thing about Marcus money, because of the, the, the elevation change, you know, the viewers get such a, the spectators get such a good view over multiple golf holes, um, which, which is, which is one of the positives. So even though, you know, there's, there's a section on the back nine, 12, 13, 16, 15, two tees, um, they're really compact, but, you know, they're obviously got to, you know, manage those areas a little bit more, but, you know, because the, there's this, there's a high ground to the right of 12 green and 13, uh, and hole 13, you know, there's a huge stand going in there, which gives, you know, the spectator, you know, views over, you know, up to nine golf holes. Um, so it's those sort of things, looking for those opportunities, um, you know, not only for, from, you know, the golf hole point of view, but also from the spectator point of view, trying to maximize them. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I've never been very good at sticking to a routine with vitamins or pills, but now I just drink AG1 in the morning before my first cup of coffee, and it immediately clears my head and makes me feel like I've done something good for my body right off the bat. I started drinking AG1 a few months ago. And I've definitely noticed some improvements in my digestion and energy levels. You know, this is especially helpful when I'm on the road, which I am a lot. I don't always eat super healthy food when I'm traveling. I don't always do the, the little things that I'm able to do when I'm home. But now I can just take my AG1 travel packs with me and I know I have my nutritional bases covered. Every day, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg. That's drinkag1.com slash the fried egg. Check it out. 
Well, let's get into some of the golfing characteristics of the course. Why don't we start with a couple of holes that you think will generate a lot of interest during the Ryder Cup? You know, in TV coverage, usually they like to focus on a couple of holes. They kind of latch on. Yeah. yeah, What do you think those holes are going to be at Marco Simone? Well, I think any Ryder Cup, everyone's going to be talking about the first. And, and, you know, this first is, I I mean, I'd probably say it's a, well, it's a mid-length par four, slight play slightly uphill right to left, but it's all about, you know, the pressure and the grandstands and just, you know, I mean, I've, I've played a tee shot. There was not a, off, off the first um, last month and there was no, obviously nobody in there, but you, you can just imagine the, the pressure that these guys are going to be feeling when they walk, you know, under the grandstand and come out onto the first tee. So, you know, the first is all about how, how these guys are going to be feeling and the pressure of that. Um, but I think, you know, we, and coming back to the routing, we've got, you know, we, we try to, as I say, try to maximize the sort of valley area where you've got the first and then the players go off and they play holes two, three, six. And then we've brought them back into, you know, when we were pitching this, this valley core area, we sort of pitched it to the Italians as the Colosseum that we're going to try and create, you know, with all the hospitality on the high ground all around this valley. But so, you know, you play the first holes two, three, six, and they come back in on, in on the seventh. And I think the seventh is one of those, it's a par three. It plays just over 200 yards downhill to a green that slopes from front to back. And, you know, there's just, there's just trouble everywhere. So I think, you know, it's one of those shots where, you know, there, there, there are a few on the golf course where the player just has to commit 100% to this, to that shot where they're going to be hitting a seven or eight iron into this green. Um, so the seventh and then, you know, on the back nine, you know, with that, those holes are played over the more dramatic and undulating uh, terrain. Um, and the back nine, we've, we, you know, so we've got holes that are just sort of half-par holes would be best to describe them. You know, a lot of risk-reward holes. There's um, 11 and 16, which can potentially play as drivable par fours. The par 5-12 is pretty short for these guys. Um, you know, plays on a dog leg from right to left, and it's just, you know, which bunker on the inside of the dog leg these guys are willing to take on. But any drive there, you know, the second shot's downhill, pretty, it's a pretty easy second shot for these guys. So the 12th, they're going to be dealing in eagles and birdies. You then got the short 13th, um, which is just a flick of a wedge. Um, but in amongst that, you've then got, you know, some really tough holes, 14 and 15, which are probably two of the hardest holes on the golf course. And then, and then they come back into this, Coliseum area for 16, which is, you know, teeing, the tee, the tees on one of the highest points of the golf course, views over St. Peter's and Rome in the distance, drivable par four, you know, and I think, I think, you know, 11, 16, seven, those are probably going to be some of the key holes. Yeah. Could you just take me through the finishing stretch of three, three holes, uh, you know, 16, you mentioned already. Yeah. Then you have 17 and 18. So yeah, just take me through that stretch and how, how did you think through the design there? Well, I mean, the, the, so I mean, it obviously comes back to the routing and like 16, we were really keen to get them back into the center. Really. 16 and 17 play in the valley. So 16, you know, we wanted obviously we knew, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned about the, the final three holes, but Ryder Cup matches don't tend to go to the final three holes. You know, we, we obviously want them to, and it'd be great if the, you know, if the final match on, on Sunday goes down 18. But, you know, as, as I said, 14 and 15 are really tough holes. And then you've got 16, which is the drivable four. 
17 is, in, in a way, it's, I mean, it plays in totally the different direction. It's a par three, plays in a different direction to seven, but it's that other, that other shot where it's a long, you know, skinny green, got multiple levels in the green, and they've just got to, it's one of those 100%, you've just got to hit the shot, you've got to hit the green, otherwise, you know, you're going to really struggle to make a par. And then, you know, 18, you know, one, another one of those teeing grounds on the high po highest points of the site, Views of St. Peter's place, 30 meters downhill. Um, yeah, all the way back downhill to the clubhouse. Um, but another, a, a par five where, you know, the players can reach into, hit the fairway, they can reach into. So, you know, 16 and 18, you know, another one of those examples of half par holes where people are going to be dealing with birdies. Birdies are probably only going to halve a hole and an eagle is probably going to win them. Um, but then you've got 17, which is, you know, is, is a half par the other way where it's a really tough three. You know, we, we've seen a couple of examples lately in these big match play events of the organizing bodies of the events kind of changing routings of golf courses around so that the most memorable holes land on kind of like five or six holes before the end of the match because they're afraid that the match might not get to the really cool hole. My own opinion on that is that a lot of the best matches get to those last holes and those yeah. best matches really create the memories. And so I think those holes need to be good. So I, I wonder if, if you, if you thought about that. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, you are, you are conscious, you know, it all, I mean, it obviously depends on the piece of land that you have um, as to where and how it's going to fit into the routing. Um, but yeah, I mean, 15, 16, you know, I mean, as I say, 17 and 18 are really strong, strong finishing holes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, a drivable par four or or a, or a short five. Um, I don't think you want to have them, you know, like right at the very end. Um, so 16, 16, you know, fitting with the land and the routing, 16 was it was a good place, and it and it also gave us the opportunity to get a lot of um, hospitality units in and around this drivable par four, which, um, you know, for, for, for the, for the organizers is, is vitally important as well. You know, but going, sorry, going back to, you know, like, you know, I think the back nine, you know, with it's just, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, players can go four under for those three holes. The, the, it's the easy stretch on the course over the, you know, as I say, over the most undulating terrain. Um, you know, we've tried to, we try to get as much drama into the, the the back nine as we possibly can because that's that's ultimately where the matches are going to be, you know, determined. Now, a lot of people have weighed in on whether Marco Simone will favor the European team as strongly as Le Golf National seemed to in 2018. Do you have a view on that? Uh, <laughs> I I think. I, I mean, I'm going to be very uh, sit on the fence and just say that I think the team that plays the best is going to win. But I mean, look, look, home course advantage. Um, the, the the home team, you know, it's no secret that you know the the, the rough is going to be up. Um, there's an accuracy going to be placed on on hitting those fairways, um, and you know, it's that's pretty similar to the golf national, and you know, Europe was successful. Uh, now you can argue, you know, the team is um, both teams are, are, are vastly different to to 2018. Um, and if you looked at the stats, you know, there's 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 
barely a difference in driving accuracy, driving distance between the two teams. So, you know, as I say, it comes comes back to, you know, the team who plays the best is going to win. But I don't think um, what, what can't be overlooked is the fact that a lot of the European players have played the course in tournament conditions. And I think I think that helps. Well, that's a very diplomatic answer, um, <laughs> but uh, slight, slightly fav- slightly favorable to to Team Europe, uh, which is uh, what I what I would expect. Um, so, as I'm sure you're aware, Marco Simone did come in for some criticism during the 2021 Italian Open, which I believe was the debut year for the redesign on on the European Tour. Some of the players made it known that they didn't enjoy certain aspects of the course, particularly the, the severity of the seventh green, the number of blind approach shots, things of that nature. How did you feel about those comments? Um, well, I mean, you know, like, you, look, everyone in golf has an opinion. And, and look, yeah, we've worked on enough tournament courses in the past that, um, you know, we've got a pretty pretty thick skin on these sort of things. I mean, not everybody fully appreciates why, why certain things are like they are. I mean, se- seven green and 17, for instance, you know, we were impacted by, by gas lines on that. Um, and that, that they were, were changes we had to make in construction. Um, and I mean, you know, I think, I think a lot of lessons were learned from the first Italian Open um, in terms of the green speeds. Um, you know, like the, the greens were really quick in the first one, and you know, like from a, from a setup point of view, you know, like a couple of a couple of the pin positions were a little bit, little bit tricky. Um, and then coming back to the point on the, on on the blind shots, you know, like when you're rooting a course, it's not like you're rooting a course, um, not like you're rooting a course you know, finding the best 18 holes, you know, we've, we're trying to factor in the spectators as well and trying to, you know, maximize the experience the spectators are going to get. So for instance, you know, a lot of, a lot of the greens have, you know, amphitheaters behind. So, you know, the, the tee shots will be from raised, raised elevations playing down. And then the, the, the second shot plays up, but it's got a backdrop for the spectators to see everything. Um, so those sort of things, you know, we, fa- we, fa- we had to factor in. Um, but, you know, the, the site has a lot of elevation change. You know, you can't get away from the fact that there's over 50 meters of elevation from, from the low point on hole eight all the way to the highest points on, on hole 12. And, you know, some holes are going to play downhill and some holes are going to play uphill. Can't change the site. So, yeah. Were there any further changes to, to the course made after that 2021 Italian Open? It sounds like maybe green speeds were, were slowed down a little bit, but uh, were there any other uh, lessons learned that were then uh, you know, kind of followed up on in, in the design after that tournament? After the, you know, okay, the 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 green speeds, yeah. Um, I mean, it it. I mean, it, they were, they were just really quick in the first one, so it just took some pin positions out of play because of some of the slopes on the greens. Um, but I, I would say the last two Ryder Cup, um, last two Italian Opens, they got the setup spot on. Um, in terms of other little tweaks, I mean, obviously, you know, the the captain comes on board and then they have a little bit of input in terms of, you know. Uh, what they would like to see. Um, so there have been a few minor tweaks to, to a couple of fairway lines and a couple of bunkers. But other than that, it's been really, really minor stuff. Can you give me any idea of what Luke Donald's 
main suggestions were you can be as general as you want or as specific as you want. But I'm very curious as to what his uh, perspective on, on the course was. Um, he was more talking about it from a, from a setup point of view. Um, so, you know, fairway widths, um, fairway widths in certain landing areas, certain distances, um, they, they, they were mainly, you know, they, they were pretty much the main points. Um, and as I said, there were only, you know, a handful of them. They got some minor tweaks, um, and then, and then they had a little bit of input on a couple of the bunkers. Um, and there was one new bunker added on the par 512th. Other than that, that 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 was it. So um, yeah, it's um, been very minor. All right, getting a little more philosophical here. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion in general lately around how golf courses can go about challenging elite professional golfers, even as they get longer and straighter off the tee every year. Right? New technology comes out, they gain a few yards, and it keeps going. So what what do you think are some of the design elements that can really test these players, even though they keep just getting longer and longer? Well, I mean, I, I, let's I mean, let's take Marco Simone as an example. I mean, the great thing about um, the three Italian Opens that we've had there, you know, is that even though it's not a long golf course at all, um, seven thousand two hundred fifty yards, um, you know, we've got a lot of elevation change. We've got undulating lies, you know, but but. That's that is what the what the site has given us. Um, I think the greens, you know, you've got to add a bit of elevation uh, undulation into the greens. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, these these guys are really really good. Um, but I think you know, Marcus Simone and and Zach Johnson, you know, he made a comment when he made the visit. You know, the the good thing about the golf course is that it's going to test every element of every element of these players game which i think you know is a positive so you know like driving accuracy you know ball striking second shots in there providing a challenge in and around the greens and then obviously the greens themselves but uh, but yeah it, it it is really difficult because these guys are so good i mean the other thing that you know that ten, tends to help is if if the wind blows quite a bit but you just can't uh, yeah can't get that every day unfortunately <laughs> How do you think through fairway widths on a golf course like this? You know, we, we're being dictated to a little bit, not dictated, but, you know, the, the, the Ryder Cup Europe and the, the captains are having their inputs on how wide they want the fairway widths at certain distances. Um, but, you know, we, we, we also know, you know, like, so going back to the Italian Open, you know, we know that that's an area where we can test the best player is to give them slightly narrower fairing, um, fairway widths. Um, but Marcus Simone is a members club. And, you know, f for the majority of the members, the fairway widths are 40 yards wide. So, you know, we are trying to factor in that as part of the design because we know that 99% of the time they're played by amateur golfers who are, who are definitely not of the ability of the players that uh, are going to be at Marcus Simone next week. Now, Marco Simone is a members club as well as a championship golf course, as you mentioned. Obviously, for a championship or a big event like the Ryder Cup, the rough is going to be quite a bit thicker than it would be during normal play. So speaking just of championship venues, what role do you think rough plays on those kinds of courses? Well, I think there's got to be a penalty for missing the fairways. Um, and... 
that's definitely the case at Marcus Money. Um, you know, they, they they want to place a premium on accuracy of the tee. So, you know, if you miss the fairways, you you know, they you you don't have that control out of the rough coming into these greens. Um and 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 you need that. Um so yeah, I think it plays a it definitely plays an important part and uh, you know, we we are we don't want we don't want the professional player just hitting the ball anywhere. Um you know, we need to be testing that side of their game as well. Now, you know, from my perspective, narrow fairways and thick rough tend to reduce the importance of strategic angles, right? Because when you're when you have a narrow fairway with rough right off the side, your job really is to hit the middle of the fairway. You're not thinking about hedging towards one side or another to try to get a better angle into the green. You can uh, disagree yeah. with that if you'd like, no, obviously. I don't, I don't, but I, 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 I yeah. don't disagree. I don't disagree with that at all. I don't disagree with that at all. But you know, we, we this is a this is a course specifically built for a specific purpose. Um, you know, but but going back to you know your 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 you know my comments on the width for the average golfer, there is a lot more width out at Marcus Money for the average golfer, and you know they you know they get to choose you know different paths and different ways to the green um uh, you know and there are multiple let's take 16 for example where there are multiple options of that tee it's one of the wider fairways um on the hole and they could you know try and take on the stream they can hit short of a central bunker um and i'm talking for the amateur golfer here you know i mean actually you could you could say that you know on 16 depending on um you know the state of play, especially in the foursomes and the match play. You know players may take you know a mid iron off the tee box, you know, and play the hole totally differently. So, you know, but on yes, the fairway widths for the for the professional golfer are narrow, and you know we have been you know led by you know uh, Ryder Cup Europe and um, captains on this one. Um, but you know for the amateur golfer, we were always you know nearly every green complex, every hole, there is always another way to get into, you know, that green. So, you know, as as much as we are, you know, maybe slightly limited from that strategic point of view in some way, you know, we, we, we are definitely factoring in, you know, golfers of all ability on that one. Yeah, and certainly adjusting setup makes a big difference for the amateur golfer. And you would hope that any course that hosts a championship would find ways to bring the golf course back to what it should be for amateurs after the pros have visited. Um, but I just wonder, from an architect's perspective, you know, I know that uh, uh, the uh, European team has had its input here, and and that they drive a lot of these setup decisions. Right, setup is not uh, so much your your purview here. Um, but just from a designer's perspective, do you think angles have a role on a championship golf course? Do you think they, they exist for players today? I think they do. I think they do for sure. Um, and I, th- I, think, I think one of the things about Marco Simone as well is that th- there are quite a lot of dog legs. You know, so, you know, they can choose which, you know, which club, how far, which angle of the tee um, that they want to that they want to take on. Um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how, how people, you know, tackle a lot of these golf holes, um, especially on the back nine, uh, where, where there are some pretty, pretty big dog legs. Um, you know, yeah. And I, and I think it comes back to, you know, 
the whole risk reward thing and i think that's what you're trying to we were trying to get in in the course and for match play golf you know trying to have a lot of these risk reward shots that we're asking the players to hit i mean look my view on risk reward is every every golf shot there's, there's risk and reward on every shot, you know, whether it's on a, on a tee shot, uh, you know, second shot, if you're out the rough, you, 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 you're trying to, you're trying to weigh up all these sort of, um, all the elements of, of, of what that next shot is going to be. Um, but yeah, I think, I think angles play, a, play an incredibly important part. Um, and, you know, like the, the way we've angled greens and, you know, how, how they sit for, for the next shot that the player's got to play, you know, they're incredibly important. And we're trying to, you know, I think on every golf course, you're trying to make sure that you ask different tests and different challenges, you know, pose multiple, multiple different questions uh, throughout the round. And I think as, and I'll come back to that, Zach, uh, Zach Johnson comment, you know, that's that I believe Marcus Simone does really well. Do you think there's a difference between designing a course for stroke play and designing one for match play? Now, Marcus Money obviously hosts both kinds of events, but I wonder if you think that there should or can be a difference between those two kinds of courses. A slight difference, yeah. I mean, you know, as mentioned, the, the back nine has a lot of half-par holes, and I think you want that risk-reward element um and 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 you want to see people you know take things on and i think you know having you know drivable par 4 short par 5s you know and then you're mixing that in with you know three really tough holes or well, probably four really tough holes in 10 um 14 and 15 which are really tough par 4s and then you've got the 17th which is a, a really tough par 3 so i think you know like having a lot of half pars i think really help um, in terms of the mat a match play course. And, you know, a kind of corollary to that question, when you're, when you're looking at a course that hosts the stroke play championship, is score to par an important criterion for judging whether that course has been successful? That is, you know, a, a winning score that is around even par or, or just under par, does that mean the course has been more successful than a winning score that is more substantially under par? I think it depends who you ask. <laughs> I think, I think the professional player would love a I'm score. I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think the professional player would love a course, which is, you know, well under par. Um, I think, I mean, you obviously, I mean, a U.S. Open, for instance, you know, it's it's great. I mean, I find it fascinating watching these guys, you know, trying to trying to get to par or be in and around par. So I love the challenge that that poses them, but I don't think I'd want to watch it every week. Um, but I I, th I think you know what I have enjoyed about the, the three Italian Opens is that you know the, the course is only minus twelve, minus thirteen all three years. So I think it's it's you know, you don't want a course where the player is totally obliterating it. Um, um, but at minus 12, minus 13, I think that's provided the players with a really good challenge. Uh, they haven't taken the course to pieces. Although I, I have to admit that in the first Italian Open, when there was a player who started on the back nine, which is all the, those opportunities, and when he was minus eight through seven holes or something, or you know, then you were starting to worry a little bit, but you know, you finish that day at minus five. But yeah, I think I think you don't want 
I personally don't want to see players like totally take a course that you've designed apart, but you, you know, you still want to provide them with a good challenge. Now in a match play event, like the Ryder cup, obviously you don't have score to par to either worry about or to use as a rubric for judging the success of the course. So I'm curious about, uh, how, how you might assess how the course does in this Ryder cup. What does it mean for Marco Simone to work for this event? What are you looking for? Ooh, good question. What are we? What are we looking for? We're looking for the matches to go to Sunday on the uh, <laughs> and go down eighteen would be amazing. You know, like thirteen all. You know, going down eighteen would 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 be fantastic. Um, I mean, the the you know, as you say, score score to par doesn't doesn't matter i think i think what we want is for there to be drama you know for there to be excitement for there to be you know a load of cheers going on um and i think you know i think it's the the atmosphere you know generating you know we've designed a course that hopefully proves dramatic for a Ryder cup and and part of you know getting that drama is is the atmosphere um you know match play golf if if people you know you know, in the in in the better ball, if they play, if they shoot sixty, so what? Doesn't you know? Doesn't matter. You know, it's you're you're playing. You know, player v player. Um, and I think, you know, people people want to see, you know, excitement. They want to see, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be shots where you know balls are just gonna you know roll off the green and run thirty forty yards away. And I think, you know, those sort of slopes they add to the whole experience. And I think. Um, yeah, I mean, we know that the course, you know, it's 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 not there to trick anybody up, but it provides a good challenge. Um, so yeah, I think I think some drama and going down 18 on on the Sunday would be amazing. Dave Sampson, this was a really interesting conversation. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and I hope you have a great Ryder Cup week. Thanks, Garrett. Pleasure. This episode of the Friday Golf Podcast was edited by Matt Rusius. Thank you, Matt. One big thing that you can do to support Friday Golf is to join Club TFE. It's $120 a year. It's our membership program, and you get a lot of benefits and extra content with it. We have the Club TFE blog where we're posting a feature called Design Notebook, which covers everything that's going on in golf architecture right now. And we also post a weekly course profile. These are courses that we find really interesting and want to dig into deeper. And on Wednesdays, we have a professional golf-themed column called What to Watch For that Joseph Lamagna often writes, and that provides insights into the professional game. In addition to the content aspect of Club TFE, we have member-only events. One of those is coming up pretty soon. It's called the Maiden Member Guest and it's at the Meadow Club in Marin County, and it's going to be really fun. It's a great course. It's Alistair McKenzie's first design in America, and really looking forward to that. So if you'd like to join Club TFE, go to thefriedegg.com slash membership and see what it's all about. All right. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.